excited about God's word. We're talking about the gospel. So man, if we're not excited, come punch us, please, somebody. Oh, me only. You don't, you know, no, definitely not. <laughs> what is the good news that you wake up to every day? It's an honest question. That's not really, I don't want that to be a religious question. I want that to be a deep, honest question. We all wake up with a newsreel, a headline that starts playing is soon as we're conscious. What kind of news is it? Is it good news? Whose good news is it? The word gospel just means good news. So let's not make it too complicated. God wants you to wake up with good news. Jesus died on the cross, went through hell, rose again so you could wake up with good news. We're in our third week of this fall series on foundations of discipleship in community, and we are doing an extra week on the gospel because it's just such good news. And if we don't have good news, we don't have anything. So a lightning-fast review of Jesus' own words to describe the good news can be found in Mark 1.15, 1.14 and 15. It says that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming, preaching, The good news of God, God's good news. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe in that good news. Repent and believe is the response. We'll get to that in a moment. So in a nutshell, the shortest summary you will ever see of the gospel, God's good news, is on the lips of Jesus himself. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's right within reach. The time is now. Grab it. The kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? Jesus also defines that for us in Matthew 6.10 where he teaches us to pray. It's not the Lord's prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. It's because Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. So it's the Lord teaching the disciples to pray. It's the disciples' prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. As it already is in heaven, so also on earth. That's the true translation. I don't know why. I'm still confused and dumbfounded why so many English translations say on earth as it is in heaven, where in the Greek it's flipped and the emphasis is clearly as it is in heaven, so also on earth. And that's so much more powerful. And it makes sense with everything Jesus does. He operates from heaven to earth. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is when God's will is done, as it already is in heaven, so on earth. It's what Jesus is doing everywhere he goes. That's why we like to say Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the demonstration of the kingdom of God. What does it look like when heaven transforms earth? Just watch Jesus. Everything he says and does is the gospel of the kingdom. It is God's will being done as it already is in heaven, so also on earth. So we work with that. We think Jesus is good enough. Jesus' life, teachings, example is the gospel. 
And it's incredible news. It's so broad. God's will is that all of heaven would transform all of earth. So there is nothing in your life going on that is outside of what God wants to forgive, heal, redeem, restore with the touch of heaven. As it is in heaven, so also on earth. And we, we argue and say, well, that's the, what I haven't not experienced that yet. So that means it must not be God's will. No, it means that you're not done yet. God's not done with you yet. It means your journey of being a disciple, which means learner and follower, isn't complete and perfected. There's more that God wants to do in your life. We don't look at our life and be like, well, man, I guess God's gospel stinks because my life's a mess. No, it's like <laughs> there's just a whole lot more that God is excited to do to heal, touch, transform. So one degree of glory to another, as 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18 says, as we follow him, his will is that we would encounter more and more of heaven transforming our life. And one of my favorite examples about that reality is that, um, you know, John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So as the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus is sending us into the world. And when Jesus came to the world and he saw the oppression of the enemy, um, did he say, oh, well, it's happening, so, you know, I guess it must be God's will. No. <laughs> he brought healing. He brought transformation. He brought his good news in every way, and he brought the kingdom of his father. He partnered listening to God always doing what the Father was doing to release his kingdom, to release the kingdom of God on earth. So that's, that's one of my favorite examples, you know, with our, the mindsets that sometimes we can have when we've been pressing on to see breakthrough in an area for a long time. It's easy to almost relinquish our faith, to let go of it. Oh, well, it must not be God's will. And I know we've said this many, many times, and it's because it's so much of, a, of our heart here, because if we relinquish our faith and if we um, say, oh, well, it must not be God's will, well, then we are partnering with the devil, and we're standing in agreement for whatever the enemy is doing and whatever stronghold is there, it's allowed to stay. And so the very thing, our faith, that we were given to fight with and to agree with God, to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Or, you know, the proper translation is, um, what, what is it? Um, arrive now, kingdom of my father, come into being now, will of my father. So um, we don't want to relinquish our rights. We don't want to give the enemy territory that doesn't belong to him. And we don't want to let him keep it. And again, I'll remind us of, you know, one of my favorite verses, and I'm forgetting the digits at the moment, but it's in multiple gospels when the disciples couldn't cast out the demon, when they couldn't bring the breakthrough, Jesus encouraged them and said, you need to grow in your faith. And then he also said, this one can only be cast out by prayer and fasting, and he neither prayed nor fasted in that moment. What he was referring to was a lifetime, a built-up vault of intimacy with the, with the Father so that his disciples could grow in the power needed to come against what was oppressing that little boy.
There it is. So we continue to follow. Jesus isn't done yet. And that following is, requires a response. Jesus said it, repent and believe. So the question we've been asking is, how do we receive, experience, and grab hold of more of the good news that Jesus says is right here at hand? Well, he told us, repent and believe. So that becomes a lifestyle for us. Those two words have such a depth and a nuance that really everything that we do as followers of Jesus can be encapsulated under those two words. They are the umbrella, repent and believe. And we've looked at repent last week, and we're going to do my best here, one minute, and then get on to the, the new side, the believe. Last week we looked at, so what is true repentance? And the word itself just means, thank you, the word itself just means to change our minds. Metanoia, change your mind, change your thinking. It's what Romans 12, 1 through 3 talks about. Don't be conformed to the ways of this world, the thinking of this world, but be renewed, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's that repentance where there is an exchange between how you think about something, how we think about something in our own broken, fallen, imperfect perspective. We exchange that with how God thinks about something, with God's truth, with heaven's perspective. We change our minds. God changes our minds. He changes our thinking. So as we walk through all of life to live that out, we can be asking a question that, that carries that disciples' learning repentance posture. And it is, God, what are you saying to me? What are you wanting to teach me? How are you wanting to renew my mind? What is your truth that you want to give me in exchange for a lie that I might be believing about myself, others, the world, you? And so that repentance process doesn't have to be this scary thing. It's, in fact, a joy to repent. I want to repent becomes the mindset of, of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus. I want to have God renew my mind to get rid of my own stinking thinking, to get rid of the lies that I'm believing about myself, God, and others, and I want my mind to be renewed with the truth of heaven. That's a lifelong journey. That's part, a huge part, though, of how we grab hold of more of the gospel. If we're believing lies about God and ourselves and others, we're not going to be experiencing the good news. Lies keep us stuck under the oppression of the enemy. And that is why the enemy is called by Jesus the father of lies, and we need the truth to set us free. So that was last week, and we, we drilled down deep into it. If you weren't there last week, you can jump onto the website again where all of these messages will be posted or our Facebook page. We strongly encourage you to watch it because this stuff is, this is the foundation of what we believe Jesus is all about. We drilled down into what we call the right side of the learning circle. If you're new with us, this is not, we do not practice occultic shapes around here. This is one of our mentors, gave us a tool a long time, 15 years ago. He grew up dyslexic and had a hard time with words. So as he was reading the gospel, getting to know God's truth, he thinks in pictures and images and wrote this down, and many, many people were blessed by it because it's such a helpful tool to remember 
the gospel by. So much information can be carried in one little image. So this is Mark 1.15 in a picture. The idea of the kingdom of God is right at hand. The time is fulfilled. That's that kairos moment. It means a, a moment pregnant with divine opportunity and potential. God did that, not us. <laughs> That's the gospel. That God is making possible the kingdom of God. More of heaven to transform our life. Our opportunity is to respond with repentance and belief. So that right side of the circle is repent. We ask, what are you saying to me, God? And this is drilling down into it from last week. We talked about the need for the sober observation, brave reflection, and candid discussion. Not even going to go into those, but that's some deep, deep stuff that's really powerful that helps in that repentance process. If we're not willing to have sober observations about our life, because sometimes, right, our life doesn't line up with the fruit of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, so we need to have sober observations. If we pretend that everything's going fine, and we just, oh, I'm going to stick with the status quo, that's what you're going to get. Well, guess what? Your life right now, (laughs) the status quo is not all of heaven that it could be. So it's, there's some sober observations that helps to bring repentance. There's the brave reflection where sometimes we got to ask, like, why am I responding that way? Why do I respond so negatively in this situation or that situation? Is there something, is there a lie I'm believing about myself, God, or others that God wants to heal with his truth? And candid discussion where we have trusted wise counsel where people in our lives can speak truth to us and we trust them and we even can get it from multiple sources. And that whole process helps us in repentance. It helps our minds be renewed with God's truth. It's a big question of what are you saying to me, God? And let me give one example from Peter that I think is really strong, but it shows this repentance process. It shows how these elements of sober reflection or sober observation and and brave reflection and candid discussion, they really help bring us to a point to hear what is God saying? What lie is God wanting to replace with truth? How is God wanting to renew our minds, which is what repentance is all about? So you guys all know that great story in Matthew 16 where Jesus says that Peter is basically this rock star among the disciples. He's the first one to publicly declare and confess that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus has this beautiful moment of declaring over Peter his God-given identity, speaking destiny over his life, that he is a rock, a little rock, like Jesus who is the big rock, the cornerstone. So it's this incredible like, moment of like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the rock, like Jesus, and he's going to build his church on me and that kind of confession and faith in Jesus. Man, I'm pretty awesome and special, and that's all true. And God has those kind of destiny moments for each of us where he sees gold in us and he wants to call it out and say, this is how you're meant to reflect my glory to the world. But then Peter got served a fat slice of humble pie, which we also all need. That was some healthy repentance because right after that moment of destiny being called out and gold being called out, Jesus said, and by the way, guys, I got to die to make all this happen. And Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. Jesus, man, that's a really dumb idea. I mean, if you're going to be a whole Savior and Messiah and, you know, be king on the throne, like, it doesn't work if you die. Like, all right, Israel's waiting for that Messiah and Savior. We need you to be at the front of the army. You're the general. I mean, we, you can't die. This doesn't work if you die. And Jesus, in all the gentleness and meekness of little, little, little lamb Jesus, says, get behind me, Satan. 
You are a hindrance to me, a stumbling block, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's a fat slice of humble pie called repentance because Jesus loves him. That's, that's meant to be a kairos moment for Peter, a life-changing moment if he's willing to hear and put into practice what Jesus is saying. But look at these elements that in the learning circle, if we could put that picture back up, the elements of repentance that we talked about, about the candid discussion and sober observation and brave reflection, it's all there. And even a plan. We're going to get to plan in a moment. Here's, here's Jesus helping Peter out with a plan. Get behind me, Satan. There's his plan. <laughs> Stop doing what you're doing. So if we could throw that picture up of the learning circle. Candid discussion, sober observation, brave reflection, it's all there. Candid discussion. What is that about? Wise counsel from trusted sources. There is no one greater trusted in Peter's life than Jesus. So when he had to speak a hard word, he did it because he loved Peter. Sober observation. Jesus is helping Peter make sober observations. You're a hindrance to me. <laughs> that should wake you up. The fruit coming out of you right now, Peter, is stinky. He's being real with them. You are a hindrance to me. That's not kingdom fruit right now, Peter. That's something else. It's something stinky. That's not who you want to be. That's a sober observation that Jesus is helping Peter have. He even said, basically, you're getting in the way of God's will. You're getting in the way of what I'm doing. You are verbally and physically opposed to my mission. God could say that to every single one of us at times. That's a sober observation. Brave reflection. Jesus helped him out. Peter, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. If Peter's willing, that's a brave reflection to have. I've had that in my life big time. Wow. My agenda is not for you. It's for my glory, God. Wow. Some brave reflection needs to happen in Peter's life. As assertive and powerful and awesome as he can be, Jesus said, in this moment, your agenda is not lining up with heaven. You need to have your mind renewed right now. You're operating out of your own strength because you think you know better than God. If we're honest, we've all done that many times. Daily, maybe. That was her confession. But let, let's be honest. This Kairos moment probably stuck with Peter for years. This was probably a pivotal time in his life that he could look back on and say, you know what, wow. <laughs> Even maybe probably chuckling, you know, as you get further away from those humble pieces of pie that God gives at times for repentance because he loves us and wants what's best for us, you can kind of start to laugh at it. Oh my gosh, I was such an idiot. I know we've done that. Looking back, like, oh my gosh, remember that time in college when God did that? Like, we were crazy what we thought was blah, blah, blah. God needed to renew our minds. I, I, I'm going to imagine that Peter can laugh at this 10 years later, 15 years later, sitting around the fire with the disciples. Hey, guys, remember when Jesus called me Satan? Yeah, that was, that was pretty good. Yeah, that was good. But that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Sure, it stung at first, but wow, the revelation of God that it brought me as I reflected upon that, as Jesus' words said to me, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
It was my agenda for my glory and my wisdom. Man, I thought about that for years. And it stung and it stuck with me, but it was so good because that helped renew my mind to where in so many different ways it helped me catch myself. Am I thinking about this in my agenda, in my wisdom, or am I thinking the thoughts of God? Those, things, those words became a guiding light for me. Every time I could feel myself trying to control something and make it happen on my own strength, Holy Spirit would help catch me, remind me there's a better way, a way of letting go of my strength and control and letting God be truly the Lord of every situation. Man, that's been a struggle for me at times, but so freeing, so powerful, so worth it. God renewed my mind and is continuing to renew my mind from that big Kairos moment. Peter was probably slow in learning it, right? Like we all are, it takes time for, for Peter to stop being controlling and possessive and overly asserting. But that's repentance in action, where Jesus is wanting to renew our minds so that we're lined up with heaven and can partner with heaven, which we're about to get to in a moment, act upon it so that we come full circle and are now experiencing more of heaven in our lives. I love this verse. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men, because I feel like so much of this side of the learning circle comes down to that. You know, it comes down to Romans 12. Um, renewing our minds. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. God, God's ways are upside down compared to the world's ways. What Jesus did and the way that he dealt with things and the way that he transformed things were completely different, and they were also all about communion with the Father and doing what the Father was doing. So, this isn't, you know, a one-time thing of, oh, God changed my mind about this subject. God changed my mind about this subject. I think a healthy mindset for this entire process of transformation through life is deeper and deeper still, like the layers of an onion. You know, there may be a time where Peter came back and Jesus had to say the same words to him, and it's because it's a process. It's a way of life. It's a process of transformation. As we behold him, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. So there are things that we look back at 20 years ago where God had transformed us and had taught us. But then, you know, years later, he's taken us deeper and deeper still to where I wouldn't even do those things or have those mindsets that at that point in life we're a transformed mind for me, but God just takes you deeper and deeper still. You're conformed. You're transformed. You're not conformed to the world anymore. He's, you know, the world and all of its influence in us is exiting as we continually align and commune with him and are transformed by him, transformed into the likeness of Christ. So this is really about a lifelong process, and what I love about this learning circle is that it really encapsulates all of these verses and breaks it down to the nitty-gritty of what does this look like for me 
to walk with you, Jesus, to listen to you, to be transformed by you on a daily basis. You know, when I first heard about the learning circle, this was 15 years ago. It's a very long time ago, and um, I was not impressed at all. Why? Because I already lived all of these things out, which is exactly why it's so powerful, because it gives us a way to pass on the lifestyle, the way of life that Jesus calls us to live. So we had already been walking with the Lord for, you know, a pretty good amount of years at that point in life. So I was just like, well, this is just basic. And that's, that's the exact, that's the point is that it's so powerful to have a visual reminder of these things that are really supposed to be a daily part of the transformation process. So it's a wonderful reminder And then these bullet points, all of these, you know, sober observation, brave reflection, candid discussion. If you weren't here last week, and even if you were, I would really encourage you to listen again because this entire process is all about walking with Jesus day by day and moment by moment. Um, You know, because the the verse that Casey referenced last week, Matthew 7, 24, um, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man or woman who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it didn't fall. But this is very foundational and it's so important for us to take the words of God and to put them into action. And so that's what this other side of the learning circle is going to be. It's the putting into action. But I want to remind us again of the, um, what, what precedes that verse, which is, um, you can encapsulate that when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, we did not prophesy, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name, powerful works. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So once again, we see the importance that Jesus is saying here, Doing the will of his Father is not doing many mighty works without intimacy. Doing the will of his Father, the heart of doing the will of his Father is knowing him. We can do the works. We can do the works. We can do what we think is good. We can apply what we think is correct Bible knowledge, but the Holy Spirit is always revealing, always transforming, always showing us a new way, and it's about abiding in him. It's about communion in him. That's where the power is. It's not about wise and persuasive words. It's not even about our current understanding of the scriptures as powerful. They are powerful, but the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, and, and the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. So so we need to get in the word so that we can have, give our whole, the Holy Spirit within us a sword. But the Holy Spirit is always bringing to light and transforming and opening the eyes of our hearts so that we can see more and so that all of this can go deeper. And so the most important thing in all of this is communion with God communion with the Holy Spirit at every moment. And that really is the summary of what this is all about. It's intimacy with God. It's Jesus. How do I walk with you day by day? And how do I learn to 
live with you in such a way that I am partnering with you every day to see your kingdom transform every part of my life and every part of my mind. Amen to that. So a last piece that we wanted to share on this repentance side. Don was sharing some perfect examples of this reality. Repentance is a process. Don't rush the process. There is pressure in every context of life to have success and performance. It's very easy in church to feel like success means, oh, I did my repentance, I'm done, it's over, I've moved on. Yet what we see in the scripture that Don's been sharing, that I've been illustrating in the life of Peter, is that this repentance, the deeper it is, the the, the deeper the work God is doing, the longer the process is going to be. There might be some things that is just kind of, you know, surface level, not as a big deal that may happen quickly. You just kind of run around the learning circle in a day or two, and that might be legit, but that is not the norm. Don't rush the process of repentance. Let me give an example. I, we talked about this, prayed on this, and we felt that God wanted us to sit here for a bit this morning to encourage all of us that there is grace for the process of repentance. We don't have to rush it. In fact, we shouldn't be rushing it. We want to develop a culture at this church in which we say things like this. I'm in a Kairos moment right now, and I'm not sure yet what God is saying. Can you feel the tension in that? If you're wrestling with something, struggling with something, something's going on in your life, and you share it with someone, are are you comfortable sharing that you're just in the middle of the struggle and you don't know yet what God's saying or what to do? Or does that kind of hit on kind of the pride of like, oh, I kind of want to share it in a nice, neat and tidy bow. It's wrapped up, and I know the conclusion, and I know what God's saying, and like, yeah, yeah. That's performance. That's pride. God wants us to be okay with. Here's, I'm going through a Kairos moment. I'm going through this challenge, this struggle. I don't know yet what God's saying. Can I share with you some of what I'm thinking, feeling, some observations? Would you give me some input? Would you give me some feedback? Would you be praying for me? It's just that there's grace for the journey. We don't need to rush it. And and in fact, if we rush it, if we rush to having an answer and a conclusion, that's often what causes us to miss the deeper work that God is wanting to do. Because it means that we're actually not willing to do the brave reflection. We've just maybe started some observations, and now we just kind of want to run around the circle because we don't really want to go as deep as God might want to go and and show us some roots of things, show us a hurt, a lie, a wound. And so we kind of rush around the circle. Oh, yeah, I got it. I I, I made this observation, but this is what God's Word says about it. So here's what I'm going to do. And, whoo, you ran around the circle, and actually you're just running in circles. 
Come on, be real. If you're going through the same thing over and over again, and that same opposite of the fruit of the Spirit is coming out of you, you're going around in circles. You're not going through the circle. Don't rush it. We all want to rush it because we want to act like we got it going on and all together. God just wants us to ha- ha- be imperfect and, and be, have freedom in our imperfection because of his perfection. So now we don't have to hide from our imperfection. We can say, I'm, I'm in a Kairos moment or this is going on in my life and, and I don't know the answer yet. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know exactly what God's saying. And to be okay with that imperfection is actually what is going to lead us into those deeper places of deep repentance where God might root out a lie that we've been believing for 30 years that's actually what's been holding us back from having breakthrough and good fruit. So the deeper the the repentance, the deeper the transformation. How much transformation do you want? How much Holy Spirit kingdom fruit do you want? Then you got to let God take you deep through that process of repentance. And in that process, there is stewardship. So one week we may feel, you know, the Holy Spirit is highlighting this to me. He's calling me deeper in this area. And it's really easy to just move on and to forget about those things. And, you know, like Mary treasured and pondered the words that were spoken to her, we all need to make a lifestyle of treasuring and pondering and of writing down the things that the Lord speaks to us. Because so often in my life, even, I notice that something that the Lord was teaching me last week, I was very quick to move on. You know, I've got new verses, and I'll just feel the Holy Spirit reminding me, go back. I wasn't done with that. I want to take you deeper and deeper still. So, you know, we live in a very fast pace, you know, gratified now, um, instant satisfaction, or it's actually like instant temporary satisfaction is really the world we live in. You know, it's all about stimulation on the screens, and I want it now, fast food, you know, microwave it, it's packaged. The funny thing is, if you actually look back in history to God's way, he didn't invent any of these things. These are all man-made things. God invented slow processes. Go pick your vegetables, get your fish, get your meat. Have it eat healthy food, not GMO grains that fatten it up really fast so that you can just basically get everything super fast and nutrientless. We live in a super fast and nutrientless, constantly stimulating culture, and that's become our norm. Jesus' way is not fast in some areas. In, in the deep transformation, it's like a slow cook gets all those nutrients down deep into our very core, into the very core of our beings. So we don't want our mindsets of how quickly this process should be happening to be painted by our culture of everything now and fast. His ways are very different than our ways. And there is so much of a process 
And especially when things are hitting on deeper mindsets and ways of life, I want to encourage us as a way of life to return to those things, to be asking the Holy Spirit, you know what you spoke to me last week? Do you have anything else to teach me about that? What do you want to teach me about that? And to really, to revisit things and to, to be stewards of seeds so that they can grow up into beautiful kingdom plants, not just be planted and watered for a little while and then you move on and you get new seeds, but we're meant to be a beautiful, blossoming, growing garden. And those things take time and they take effort and they take energy. They take cultivation, they take water, they take sunshine. And that's where we take the steps to partner with God to see those kingdom seeds grow up into beautiful, mighty trees that transform the surface of our lives and the surface of the earth. Amen. Okay. Let's talk about believing a little bit here. The left side of the circle or the second piece of responding to the gospel, Jesus said, repent and believe. Believe simply means you trust something so much you act upon it. It is an action word. It's, it's, yeah, it's not the typical cultural version of belief, which is just, oh, that's a nice idea. Nope, if you don't put it into action, you don't actually believe. It's exactly what Jesus said at the end of Matthew 7, or the end of his Sermon on the Mount, where he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is the one who's building their house on the rock putting it into practice. If we're not putting it into practice, we don't actually believe it. If there's not action happening, we don't believe. So it's a renewing of our mind, repentance, and then a putting it into action. So on that left side of the, the circle, if you want to use that tool, drilling down, it's, it's very simple. A plan, a partner, and act. The plan is, what is your plan of action? You guys have heard it. If you fail to make a plan, what? You plan to fail. That's, that's biblical. That's belief. If you actually believe, you make a plan. You have an action step in response to what God is saying. It's not like God says something, he's renewing my mind. Oh, that's nice, God, thank you. Good to know. And then nothing happens? Exactly, nothing happens. More of heaven on earth is not encountered. The kingdom of God is not experienced. If it stays in the ideas realm, in the, even what God is saying, even if you know the truth, if we're not acting on it, acting it out, nothing is changing. The entire Sermon on the Mount is full of action steps. What it's actually full of is these examples of, of Kairos moments, of Jesus describing how the kingdom of God, God's will, wants to break into the status quo of our lives and trans touch and transform our lives with the goodness of heaven. 
And Jesus goes through all these different topics of life. Anger, enemies, lust, prayer, finances, provision, our own identities, anxieties. Talk about some Kairos moments, man. And Jesus describes what it looks like when heaven touches earth, when the kingdom of God transforms our life. But you know what he always does? He shows us what God says about it and how we can put it into action. Let me give you one example. And we're going to pretty much close here. But famously, we know all about Jesus saying this. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's all of our favorite verses, right? Let's back up a little bit. Jesus said, Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said, love your enemy and hate, or excuse me, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that first phrase, and watch, this is a model all over the Sermon on the Mount and the New Testament for that matter matter and the Old Testament if you can put the narratives into this spiritual principle. You have heard it was said, you shall love your enemy. Why do I keep saying that? Sorry. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You have heard that it was said. In other words, that is the status quo right now in your life. That's the same old, same old. That's what you're experiencing. You love those who love you, and you hate those who hate you. That's human nature. That's the brokenness and the fallenness of this world. That's the vicious cycle that humanity has devolved into on our own strength. And Jesus' whole point is, but God has good news. There is a kairos moment. There is an opportunity There is divine potential where that broken status quo, and you can think of all the issues, anxiety, lust, anger, fears, those are all the broken status quos. And Jesus is saying, but God has good news. God has something better for us. So what is God saying to all of us? What is the good news? And Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. I say to you. What is God saying to me? What is God's good news? How is God calling me to repent? How is God calling me to line up my thinking with heaven? The good news that we can actually love our enemies. That if the kingdom transforms our heart, we can love our enemies. That is power. Let's not be be fluffy about this. When Jesus is dying on the cross and being tortured and killed by his enemies, and he says, Father, forgive them. That is a power that the world had never seen before. There is a spiritual power. That is heaven on earth. That is heaven being displayed. For even in the utmost of sinners crucifying the Lord, there is a love that will bring forgiveness. That is heaven touching earth. And Jesus is saying, you can have that too. You can have that kind of power flowing out of you. You can love your enemies. That's good news, that you could be that powerful. That's what God's saying to you. And what, is I, what am I supposed to do about it? What's my belief? What's my trust putting, getting put into action? Pray for those who persecute you. There's your action plan, Jesus says. You want to experience the love that God has for enemies? Start praying for them. 
Have you ever done it? Watch what happens to your heart if you actually pray for enemies. Watch what I can do with your heart, Jesus says. Watch what God can do with your heart if you put in my action plan and start praying for your enemies. You might just encounter the heart of God for them that transforms you so that you begin to carry the heart of heaven with you and you actually love your enemies. It's all right there. And Jesus does this over and over and over. The commands in the Bible are God's action plans for you to experience more of God's kingdom. That was worth the price of admission right there. The commands in the Bible are not God's mean old ways of holding us back from having fun. They are the action plans for how you can encounter more of heaven on earth. They are the action plans that say yes to God's new ways of thinking and you put it into your life so that the kingdom of heaven transforms your reality, so that you encounter God in new ways that you didn't know were possible. Have you ever thought about that? I, that that's, that's revelation to me. The commands of God are simply God's action plans where we get the privilege to put into practice a renewed mind. The commands don't work without a renewed mind. If we come to the commands of God without a renewed mind, then they just look like a list of rules and regulations to try to hold us back. But if we come to the commands of God with the renewed mind that we know by the Holy Spirit's power, this is what God is saying. God is, has transformed my mind. I have exchanged my thoughts and my lies with the truth of heaven. Now I'm ready to come to the commands of God, knowing they're good news, and here's how I put into practice. Here's my action steps so I can experience the kingdom of heaven. And so this whole left side, it's just about putting it into practice. Action plans. You act on this renewed mind. You have a, a spiritual partner that prays for you for your success, encourages you, and then you, dependent on the Holy Spirit, just take that first step and act upon it. And your life will be transformed from one degree of glory to another. A closing word in prayer. So on this act side, these can be little steps. These don't have to be huge, grand, you know, grandiose steps that, you know, blow us away. This is almost like, almost like a process of where water erodes, you know, the earth. There's, there's a process. These can be little steps. So it doesn't, I, sometimes we need to get out of our uh, minds the idea that if it's a, not a big, huge, juicy piece of fruit that we can sink our teeth into, you know, just referencing the fruit of the Spirit, that it's, you know, 
It's just not a big deal. And we can end up, I've heard this phrase, despising the day of small beginnings. When the fruit starts out, it sometimes starts out small. And there's little baby steps. And it's, hey, I want you to take that risk and go talk to that person in the parking lot. So I just want to help to give us the framework that these are about the dailies. The, this, this entire believe side is just putting into practice what Jesus is showing us, what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us. And it's also asking him, Holy Spirit, how do I put this into practice? How do I live this out so that my life is an overflow of your Holy Spirit in me, but specifically asking him for ways that we can move this from the head and the transformed heart into our earth. And, and, and we learn as we partner with him and as we take these steps, as we step out on the water, as we step out doing things that actually may not seem like that big of a deal, but I want to encourage us not to despise the day of small beginnings because every big juicy piece of fruit starts out small. And so there's a day by day, there's a, there, there's a process, there's sometimes just the mental renewal, the mindsets, the renewal of the mind, and then they're stepping out in little things and then in bigger things and in bigger things. But really life is made out of a whole lot of little things, you know? Um, and we don't want to short circuit what the depth of the riches of what God wants to do in us when he wants to just, he wants to immerse our lives in this truth. He doesn't want it to be, oh, one big great thing, and okay, that's it, I guess I'll move on to the next thing. He wants it to be, he wants his spirit, his ways, his mindset, his way of life to be it's almost like just a constant cycle of renewal. This and that and this and that. So rejoice if he's showing you something small. Because we are actually partnering with him to tangibly see the kingdom come. And there's so much power when we step out in faith for these little things. When they move from a mindset to actually stepping out, there's so much more. There's so much more that he pours out, there's, and there's so much grace for the process. But as we step out, we're going to, we tangibly feel the move of the Holy Spirit as we're good stewards in what he shows us, and he pours out more, and then more, and then more, and then more. So if he shows you something small, be encouraged that he's doing something great, no matter how small it looks. That's good. That's good. Here we go. Jesus, by your grace, may your Holy Spirit make this our daily life. All God's people said, amen. Amen. <laughs> I was singing.